0: Optophobia The Fear of Opening One's Eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you. Our listeners to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season one: a Cold War era military base in the Horn of Africa called News Station. For years, there was an official story about a U.S. intelligence project at Cagnew, codenamed Stonehouse. The project included a pair of 15-story parabolic antennas that the American government claimed was simply part of a powerful radio communications operation. But as the space race with the Soviet Union intensified, that cover story looked increasingly flimsy. By the 1970s, civil war forced the U.S. from Ethiopia, and Cagnew Station closed for good. Or did it? What was Stonehouse, really? What happened at CAG Station between 1974 and 1991 when violence and war gave perfect cover to any shadowy agency, organization, or cabal seeking it? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Elliot F. Carlin. We've talked a lot this season about the Indian Ocean and its role in the New Station story. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about the Indian Ocean in a second. But we've never had a guest on the show who has actually sailed its seas. This week, we've landed a guest, and he has an amazing story about the mysterious communications he heard as he cruised that ocean in the 1980s. But first, I wanted to update you on the research we've been doing about how the U.S. government was using the Stonehouse Antennas to disturb the ionosphere. You'll remember that while the U.S. Army Security Agency was using the Stonehouse Antennas to steal Soviet space telemetry during the Cold War, the Navy had found handy use for the antennas, too. The U.S. Naval Research Laboratory found a way to turn the ionosphere itself into a powerful mammoth antenna. That giant space antenna could transmit radio signals underwater, allowing nuclear subs patrolling the Indian Ocean in the 1960s to remain submerged and hidden from the Soviet Navy. But sometimes, cutting-edge technology can unleash unintended consequences. It turns out that by heating up the ionosphere, naval research lab engineers working out of Cagnew Station altered some electrons attached to the radio signals being beamed back down into their own submarines. A couple of weeks ago in the National Archives, I found a recording of one such mutated radio signal, which, according to a subsequent naval investigation we also dug up, caused 23 sailors in the Navy's Indian Ocean nuclear sub-fleet to succumb to sudden psychotic delusional disorder over the course of nine months in 1966 and 1967. In a twist that seems to corroborate much of what Deborah has written in her new book, I Can't Go for Mind Control, No Can Do, Hall, Oates, and the Soviet Roots of Blue-Eyed Soul, available in free-thinking bookstores, we discovered a faint but definitive strain of the chorus to You Make My Dreams. Even stranger, because Hall and Oates didn't release that song publicly for another 14 years. In fact, they didn't even meet until 1967. So I'm taking you through all of that because we were really excited to finally pull a thread that seemed to be leading to a CAG News Station explanation. But one thing about the truth is that you have to follow that thread wherever it leads. This week, I uncovered yet another document. Thanks to the U.S. government's incredibly efficient and helpful Freedom of Information Act process for journalists, this new memo shed more light on what happened to those nuclear sub-sailors afflicted by sudden psychological delusional disorder. As we discussed in last week's show, the sailors affected by the mutated radio signals in 1966 and 1967 suddenly believed themselves to be lumbering dinosaur-sized creatures. They became claustrophobic, which is not a good thing on a submarine. They thought they were knocking things over, crushing other sailors underfoot, and they were ravenous for ferns. Well, according to another internal Navy inquiry, this one done in the 1980s, The SPPD experienced by the sailors was not because of Stonehouse, but a secret CIA LSD mind control program called Project Giant Squid. So, sadly, it is back to the drawing board for the CAG News Station mystery. I really thought we were so close to the truth. But, onward, this week I am here with my regular co-host, the former host of the syndicated radio program, Deborah. Deborah, how are you?
1: Hi, Elliot. Ugh,
0: sort of exhausting and disappointing.
1: I, I'm both exhausted and disappointed. I was I was up for eight nights straight, pulling this particular thread.
0: You have not been sleeping a lot lately.
1: I have not. I've. I mean, we're dealing with cabals, dark forces, Soviets. There's no time to sleep.
0: The thing that's still confusing to me is what. Exactly that radio signal that we heard with You Make My Dreams, what that was all about. I mean, yes, this is an explanation. A CIA LSD program, those happened a lot, apparently, in the 60s and 70s. Why was it in the National Archives? Why was this radio signal with Hall Notes embedded in it? That could not have had anything to do with the CIA.
1: So throughout this process, I've been thinking that we were getting closer to how Hall Notes were using their music for mind control right. via the Soviets. I knew we'd never get at Why? Because frankly, that to me as an emotionally intelligent person is an interesting question as to why they would do this. Mm. But I thought we were getting closer to the how. And now I. it seems like I'm, go- I'm in for many more sleepless nights.
0: It does exist. I mean, we have it. It was not, we didn't make that up. Like, we got it from the National Archives. So there is an explanation, and that, in and of itself, seems to, like I just said, corroborate a lot of what you've written about the Soviet Hall connection. But we just don't know exactly what it is.
1: Crushing.
0: So, as always, if you're new to the Cagnew Station story and want some of the background, you can listen to our first episode or go to our website, optophobia.org for all the context. Unfortunately, our guest for this week, Phil Ribbles, was unable to join us. A floral designer from Owlshead, Maine, Mr. Ribbles was has dreamed for years of building a water park at the Cagnew Station site, but he went to research the appropriate documents and licenses he'd need to develop the water park, and he figured out that the land that Cagnew was built on was not even owned by the Ethiopian government when they leased it to the United States to build military base in the first place. So obviously we were excited to talk through the implications of that discovery with Mr. Ribbles. But earlier this week, he was stung in the mouth by several bees as he was arranging flowers. So he's unable to speak to us or to anybody else. So we hope he gets better. But we lucked out because we found a guest that we are very, very excited to talk to. Terry Timmons is with us. He's visiting the studio today. Uh, Terry, thanks for being on Optophobia.
2: Oh my gosh! Thanks for having me.
0: This is a dream come true
2: for me. Can I just say something really quick? Like I gotta get it out of the way. Sure. Of okay. Course. Deborah, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the syndicated radio show. It got oh me through gosh. a lot of lonely
1: nights. Terry, that is so. Valuable to hear, and can I just say that your name, Terry Timmons, is music.
2: To hear you say that, I mean, you don't know what you mean to me. You don't. You're not going to remember this. We met in Topeka, Kansas, at a book signing. Um, I I bought. I don't go for mind control, and um, I still have it. I didn't bring it. It's it's in my house, and um, it's on a very special place on my shelf. And I just so I have to say this to get this out of the way because now I can look at you like a human being and not like. So I'm sorry. I just little fanboy.
1: Oh, moment. Terry, I do remember you.
2: Stop. No, you don't I to know
1: Topeka. I remember that was one of the most exciting stops on the tour because the fans in Topeka.
2: We're rabid.
1: They say that the, all the corn just nourishes you in the right way.
2: It's what's what the Mayans ate. Mm-hmm. So that didn't go well for them. But you know, so be it.
1: So be it.
2: So anyway, I'm I'm so happy to be here. I've been following this. Can I say that? I feel like such a fanboy. I don't even feel like I should be here, but I've been following this. Really, really interesting. Disturbing, the Hollow Notes connection. Can you guys sing a few bars of that song, though? I don't know that one.
1: You Make My Dreams?
2: Yeah. What is
1: it? Terry, I, I'm going to do a little disclaimer before I start singing that, that these are lines penned by soviet agents and they have the power to actually change the qualities of your mind to think in a more soviet way so i'll just say that but it it goes do 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 doo do doo, 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 doo. you make my dreams come doo, doo, oh, doo. true
2: of course that i know waiting
1: that song, for yeah. waiting for you girl do do you
2: make That's exactly my it. dreams mm-hmm. come true. I don't, I don't, I am tone deaf in one of my ears from a horse riding accident, but mm. you'll forgive it. You'll forgive it. Terry,
0: did you, when you were a fan of Deborah's show, Deborah, were you ever tempted to call in with a relationship issue?
2: Never called in. Didn't think I could keep it together on the phone. <sighs> my therapist would have a field day with this one. But I... Terry,
1: what is keeping it together? <sighs>
2: Don't I don't. Can we I do we even have time for this? I I've had so many heartbreaks. So I would just listen. I would listen. And misery loves company is that old saying to hear other people pour their heart out for you and for you to find the perfect song for them. It didn't feel like maybe getting the perfect song for me. It felt like it every time. So thank you.
1: You know, I like to see myself as Misery's best friend. And Terry, in a way, I feel like you're a best friend. So thank you for that.
2: This old coot needed to hear that. Okay. Because it's been a rough few decades in Timmins land.
0: Let's get into that a little bit, Terry. I'm
2: born and bred in Lawrence, Kansas. I was a country boy turned city mouse. Uh, When I turned 18, I went to LA with big dreams and no money. (laughs) That old story. And um, I think my first love is really the hospitality industry. I found myself as a shift manager at a Ruby Tuesdays. I have been a front desk person at several hotels. You know, probably what drew me to this podcast is my time aboard Royal Caribbean's Shimmer of the Seas, the flagship of the Indian Ocean for Royal Caribbean. Right. Yeah. You don't start cruise director. No. You know, you start in the kitchen. You start by making animals out of towels in people's cabins and you work your way up.
1: Did you have a signature animal, Terry? A crab. I know you did. A crab. Oh, I know you did.
2: And we had a lot of fun with that. It's a family show, so I'm not going to go into it, but we had a lot of fun With that. You're bad. Yeah, I'm not well. (laughs) Uh, But you live and you learn. So I, you know, I like bringing happiness to others, which is why I like the hospitality industry. But I do have to say, because of my time aboard Shimmer of the Seas, I can't hold down a steady job anymore from what I experienced there. My
0: goodness. Let's go back a little bit into your employment history. What drove you from land to sea? It sounds like you went from the hotel industry to working your way up on a cruise ship. Why did why did you decide on cruise ships?
2: Why do we do anything? I was chasing a boy. You know what I mean? Ronaldo and I were at competing hotels. We met at a sort of an industry function, a happy hour, and he said to me, I'm gonna throw my lot in with Royal Caribbean. And they're looking for some other hands, some other strong hands uh, out of the port of L.A. And uh, I marched right down the next morning and I said, you know, ahoy, y'all, I want to get aboard this ship. And I was hired on the spot, did not have time to turn around and get out of my lease or anything. I boarded the ship that day. And oh. started a what would turn out to be a fourteen, fifteen year journey. Always in the Pacific and Indian Ocean. Hmm. Yeah. So Shimmer of the Seas was not your first ship? No, no. I was on the Sundancer for a long time, always in sort of a steerage situation. I really cut my teeth on the Sundancer. I didn't go on board the Shimmer. I went aboard the Shimmer in 83 as an assistant cruise director. And as luck would have it, the cruise director died. Oh, yeah, fortunate. Two weeks after I boarded. And we were mid-cruise. So if there's no HR, what do we do? It's You step up. Mm -hmm. I stepped up and I stepped out. And I never looked back from there. As soon as we made it back to board, I was officially named cruise director. And I did that until
0: 1988. Do they still throw people overboard when they die on a ship? It, like burial at sea kind of thing?
2: It depends on the religion of the person.
1: And I could imagine that a cruise director would have certain advanced directives. That's should right. Should they fall ill That's at right. sea.
2: My, my former boss who died, he wanted a Viking burial. And so we put him on one of the dinghies. We pushed him out. We did not have – I think we poured vodka on him. He was an alcoholic. Mm. And it felt like a nice final touch. Mm -hmm. And there was an archery class aboard. So we just sort of let the passengers each take turns with flaming arrows. And it took about 45 minutes for him to take flame. But when he did, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. As luck would have it, the sun was just going down. And, you know, as I look back at it, I don't know where dusk started and and he ended.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Let's take a quick break uh, and we'll be right back with Terry Timmons. Hey, optophobes. I have some sad news to tell you about. Mrs. Jackie O'Shurd, owner of Blend Venom Solutions, passed away last week at the polyps at Jonathan Winters in Shalimar, Florida, where she had lived for the last 37 years. Recently, Mrs. O'Shurd had come into some money after winning Blend Venom Solutions in a game of pinochle from Blend Venom founder. Mr. Gizzard Charlemagne. Here at Optophobia, we were honored that Mrs. O'Shurd liked the show enough to reestablish a professional advertising relationship with us for Blend Venom Solutions' signature product, Spikenard Monocled Cobra Solve. SMCS is a solve, not a salve. It's a fat-dissolving ointment made from the Jadamansi plant in combination with the venom of the monocled cobra. In our remarkable turn of events, at the same time we heard the sad news of Mrs. O'Shurd's death, We were also told that she'd left her entire estate, which consisted of a collection of more than 16,000 pinochle decks and Blend Venom Solutions, LLC, to this show. So please bear with us as we figure out the tax implications of suddenly owning a company with annual revenue nearing $200 million. Okay, we're back with our guest for today, Terry Timmons. So Terry, you were telling us a little bit about your life as a cruise director. Talk a little bit about how you first encountered the entire notion of, of Cagnew Station while, while you were on Shimmer of the Seas. What's
2: so funny about this is that, you know, it probably wasn't until years later that I realized Stone House is what I was experiencing. We would take this route that would take us very close to Africa once every six or seven days. I remember one night. I was called down to what was essentially the communications hub of the ship. And they kept saying, we're getting really weird, just little bits and pieces of what was a foreign language at the time. I would go down and we would listen. We would have contact for not quite an hour, just bits and pieces, snippets. And those first few weeks as we would encounter this, we didn't so sort of think anything of it. It was so regular. It was when we had taken on, oh, he would have been a Belarusian, I think. He was from Belarus. Um, he happened to be down there in the communication station with us. And he said, that's Russian. Mm-hmm. Those are, that's Russian. I can hear, you know, he's picking him up. What's bizarre is we then tried to make contact. We reached out and said, you know, who is this? I'm thinking, you know, is, is this an invasion? Wait, 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 where are these Russians? The first time we did that, This is going to blow your mind. We all woke up the next morning with hours gone. Hours. I don't remember returning to my cabin. I remember signaling, you know, making communication. The next thing I remember, I wake up in my cabin. I call the people I was with. They have the exact same experience. Whoa. We lost hours.
0: Okay. So you're you're listening to this communication. The... Belarusian uh, tells you, this is Russian, you guys decide, let's make contact. As soon as you make contact, were you speaking, was the Belarusian speaking in Russian for you? Were you trying to translate? He was. He was saying, um, you know, uh,
2: this is the shimmer of the seas, sea to shore, sea to shore, who is this? We all sort of felt a fuzziness. We The the Russians were responding, but we all sort of felt a cloudiness. I don't, you know, I'm fond of my drink. It's sort of like being when you're, you're just buzzed, you know? And that's the last thing I remember. But you remember them answering. Yes. There was definitely
0: a response. D- did the Belarusian remember or, or was they able to translate no, what was no. said? No,
2: None of us can remember what was said after that. We know that there was a communication coming in and then hours go.
0: And you were otherwise fine, physically fine.
2: At the time,
1: fine.
2: Mm. Oh, this is hard. We would continue doing this for really the next year. Every time we would near it, we would try and experiment and you know reach these folks. And every time we would lose sometimes minutes, sometimes hours, always when they responded back. Sometimes they would never respond. Sometimes we'd go weeks without a response. But when they did respond back, we would lose time. And while I can't prove it, I think whatever that effect was that it had on me was so pronounced over time that that's why I can't hold down a steady job anymore. I'm not well. I I lose time now. My head is fuzzy. I can't be out of my house for more than 12 hours at a time. I get just fuzzy in the head.
0: What happens if you hear a Russian person speaking while you're just walking down the street?
2: That's so funny. I don't know that it's ever happened, but as you're saying it, I can feel my heart beating faster. It feels like the fuzziness might be coming back.
1: Do I have permission to try something?
2: Uh, Deborah, you would never hurt me. I know that.
1: Dasvidaniya. Spasibo. That's all I know. Terry? Terry. Terry,
0: you're... Terry, come back. What is it? What?
1: Oh, goodness gracious.
0: Terry, do you know where you are?
2: Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Just let me... Just can I have a second?
1: Take as much time as you need, Terry.
2: How long was it? How long was I out?
1: You were out for approximately 28 seconds.
2: I'm sorry. Oh. How do you feel right now? Not well. I feel Can fuzzy. we just take
1: a minute and transition to "Unwell" by Rob Thomas of Matchbox Twenty fame?
2: God, you always know what to do.
1: We could just cut to that, and then
2: I'm sorry, guys. I'm 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 getting it together.
1: It's
2: okay. Wow, we wowzers! That was wi- what a wild ride.
0: What did you did you feel anything while you were away? Did the, or did was it the same feeling that you used to have? Was yeah, it, it was f- a fuzziness, and then
2: as she said that. Like it was almost like I could see her mouth moving, and I, I didn't feel my eyes close, and maybe maybe they didn't. I th- it felt like a curtain was falling over me.
0: That was very strange. You didn't look like you. Anything was different. You were just that listening takes to Deborah. My breath away.
1: You know this is so similar to some symptoms that we've seen displayed by other guests who had a close connection to Cagney. Theodore Kettle, for instance, yeah. had had some lost times, some fuzzy memories yeah. related to that Russian operative Olga. Olga. Olga.
2: Wow, that evokes something. When you said that, that I think we used to talk to the. I I think that was part of the communication. I think that's something we were picking up is that name that that takes me back
0: was it a, a person named olga or was that a code name or a or just a word that you heard you know what's hitting
2: me and you know this has been 30 plus years now it, it feels like somebody tra- the belarussian might have said oh if they were speaking english what they you they would be saying is the equivalent of project olga
1: oh my gosh watch out boys she'll chew you up oh here she comes she's a man eater
2: I am so
0: sorry. Have I derailed no, us? No, no, no. This... this is a revelation. No, this I think, is solidly this on the rails Yes, for us. Terry, when, when these communications started and, and you guys, the crew started to communicate regularly with whatever it was, was this something you were doing surreptitiously?
2: Well, let me tell you, I did try and make a note of this, an official note in the captain's log. He said he didn't want to hear about it. So, after the first few times when I raised this, from that point on, it was for sure surreptitious. Um, We would go, there was a group of us. I would make sure the, the right people were scheduled at the right time. And we would do this on our own because there was, I don't even want to say there was zero interest. There was resistance to the idea of exploring this, real resistance. This is a car- Carnival Cruise Line? This is Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean. Shimmer of the Seas.
1: You know who the biggest single employer of Holland Oats is in 2019? Royal Caribbean Cruises.
2: That's wild.
1: They're on Majesty of the Seas, Song of the Seas, Desire of the Seas. They're doing
0: the Caribbean route. Is there any Russian investor... Maybe it's just sort of a shadow investor, but I would imagine that we're making connections now that seem to indicate... It would not surprise me at all if there's a lot of dark money
2: in cruises. Yeah. If you think about it, this is a ship that's dressed up as fun and entertainment, but is stopping at every possible country you'd want to stop at if you're trying to get things from one place to another. It is in itself an antenna. If you wanted to experiment, there's a lot of membranes and tissue inside of a cruise line that could be used for something else. You want to experiment on people? It's a locked island situation. You're out there
0: on your own. It seems to me an act of collective courage that you kept going to the communications suite and making contact with let's just call it Project Olga, knowing that it was going to have this effect on you, were you and the crew worried for your safety, or was it really just curiosity? Being called courageous is crazy. It was an act of stupidity.
2: I mean, we just didn't care. We thought we were doing something fun and innovative, and we really thought we had a mystery on our hands, but nothing that was going to in the long term harm us. Every time we would wake up fuzzy, We were like, those guys, we'll get them next time. It didn't feel dangerous. And that's just young hubris is what that is, because we're working with some real shady characters.
0: Well, it seems that you were without, yeah, without knowing it. That's right. In the years since, have you spent much time either in contact with your former crewmates or just on your own thinking about, what these transmissions really could have been?
2: I mean, finding
0: your podcast has been a
2: revelation because I don't know if you've got it, but you're on to it. Something makes me think it's not, is it the Russians, is it the Americans? I think they're working together. I think the Cold War is maybe the greatest one-act play ever put on. And everybody should be seeing what's going on backstage. That's what I think. I think worried about a superpower? What about two of them working in concert?
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: Against the rest of us. That's right. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense now that you say that. A shared facility. We've been worried, you know, when did the Americans leave? When did the Russians arrive? Were the Russians ever there? I think they're in cahoots and always have been.
1: That is a heavy thought. It's a heavy thought, okay? And I just want to say that even though you might not have felt courageous or brave back then, Terry, hold hold my hand, Terry, you are brave right now. You're a patriot.
2: How do you always know what to say? That's why you're syndicated.
1: That's why they keep me on. And let me just correct you by saying that it's probably the second greatest one-act play of all time because the first is my one-act play, Deborah, A Life.
2: No, wait. I, I feel terrible. I, th- I'm embarrassed. I didn't even know. Where can I see this? Well,
1: it was supposed to be playing at the Sherman Oaks Palladium in December 1993, but it got pushed back. So we're still waiting on a release date. For Deborah Alive?
0: I didn't know about this either. I I feel terrible.
1: I think that there's only about 13 people who've actually seen it, have been privileged enough to see it. That's lucky. But let me tell you, when you see it, be ready for some feelings.
0: Yeah. Sign me up for the front row.
1: Terry, I will.
0: I'll pay whatever. Sadly, we're going to have to leave it there for now, but I want to thank our guest, Terry Timmons. Uh, It was an honor to have you.
1: Thank you, Terry.
0: Um, It's my
2: pleasure.
1: No, it's my pleasure. Thank you,
0: Deborah. You know just what to say. And thank you to my co-host this week, Deborah. who I just learned something new about. Next week, I will have both of my co-hosts, Deborah and Hassan Gray, in the studio together again as we wrap up the very first season of this podcast. I hope you will join us. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I'm Elliot F. Carlin, and I will leave you with this. Through idle badinage, we can unearth life's redundancies. If you've got theories about what was really going on at CAG News Station, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at, at Optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thanks to Denny Johnson, who played Terry Timmons, Denny performs with UGG, an all-gay improv troupe in D.C., often seen at Washington Improv Theater. He also just launched a new talk show, Wake Up Late with Denny and Kate, America's only nighttime morning show, at Colony Club in Washington. Liz Sanders played Deborah. Liz performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open.